0: This episode is brought to you by Dundee Venture Capital. Dundee VC is a premier early-stage VC firm located in Omaha, Nebraska. With an amazing portfolio and incredible value to the entrepreneur, Dundee is the perfect choice if you're looking to raise capital or become an LP. If you're connected to a startup with huge potential, you'll definitely want to talk to Dundee Venture Capital. This week, we're talking about the importance of a board of directors, especially for the early entrepreneur. We also caught up with Trey Bowles, co-founder and CEO of the Dallas Entrepreneur Center, a central location for entrepreneurs to learn how to start, build, and grow businesses through training, education, mentorship, promotion, and capital investment. As someone who's seen and accomplished a lot in startup community building, Trey discusses what he thinks makes a great startup community. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside Silicon Valley. My name's Matt Boyd. And I'm Brian Ardinger. How's it going this week? It's It's good. well. Another I'm, another good week. Yeah, I'm headed to New York tomorrow, which is going to be a pretty pretty awesome trip. Looking forward to it. And I'm remaining in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> so this week we are talking about uh, boards. We're talking about you know the startup board, the board of directors. There's many many different names for it, but your board of directors essentially. Um, and uh, well, what else are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, advisory boards, another different type of board that you should be thinking about when you start yeah, a company. So, um, so let's get into it. Um, what is a board and how how should it be structured and that kind of thing? Well, f- legally you'll have a board most of the times. Uh, when you
1: take money, <laughs> you'll, you'll want people that uh, uh, sit on that board uh, as a corporation and make decisions for the company. Um, it's usually a couple of outside investors and a couple of inside folks, depending on size and shape of your board. But those are the ones who are, have, uh, you know, a fiscal responsibility to, and a fiduciary responsibility, I suppose, to, um, uh, you know, watch over the other shareholders' uh, interests of what's going on with the company. So, all sorts of things they make uh, decisions for, everything from potentially hiring to, uh, you know, should you be acquired or you know, anything along those lines.
0: And I think it's important to note that, you know, a board. Uh, in reality, it means different things, depending on the stage of company that you're at. So uh, I actually pulled this quote from Cora, a guy named Gil Silberman. He says, uh, as a practical matter in pre-institutional funding startups, the board is usually a formality and all board members are handpicked by the founders by consensus. That was the top, top rated. uh, and, And the thing is, what's interesting about this is, you know, it's not really black and white. So there's depending on who you talk to, there's a different answer regarding the startup board and that kind of thing. So let's dig into, into that. And so some people say, uh, don't recommend giving early board seats. I actually found a a post from Steve blank who, who was very explicit in saying, don't give away early, early, you know, startup board seats. I've talked to a lot of people and that's actually the way that we went in our company. But then I've talked to other people who say, uh, you know, give away board seats but make sure that they're the right fit and then whenever you do, make sure you use those people. So what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Brian?
1: Well, you know, I've heard both sides of the story too. Somebody like a Brad Feld is very much for boards um, and I've seen a lot of people, especially in this local ecosystem, that think that boards are, are important and I do think they they are important. I think you've got to be um, careful what you, um, as a founder, I mean, you, you want to know what you're getting from your board and, you know, the purpose of a board is not really to be your boss, although that can be, uh, what actually happens. The, the purpose of the board is really to help you as the founder kind of navigate and have a sounding board for decisions that you have to make. So I found a lot of, uh, instances where if you don't have a board early, um, you can be lost in the wilderness, especially for an early founder or, you know, first time founder. Um, it's much better to have some people, you know, helping you along, but on the alternative, if you're, if you pick the wrong board or have the, the wrong people, um, wrong interest in mind it can be a uh, very easily for you to use, lose control of your company yeah absolutely. Uh, depending on where you're at in the, in the process
0: so um quick google search i found several articles talking about you know various mistakes that people uh, make on their board but i think that you know there's a few that that stand out in every single one of those and i think that uh you know obviously bringing on the wrong people um you know, I, f- I found various things talking about bringing on independent directors who can be loyal to the company outside of the, uh, outside of the 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 management and that kind of thing. Uh, so obviously, if you bring on the wrong people, um, it's it's probably a fail from the get go. <laughs> um, well,
1: sometimes you don't have a choice. I mean, f- as a founder, let's say you're going out and raising your your seed uh, or or Series A. Usually, that first VC in uh, the the biggest player is going to want a board seat because they want to be able to see what's going on within the company. Be able to help guide you um, you know help you network etc and they're because they're putting a pretty significant stake uh, into your company and have a specific you know ownership in that company they'll want a board seat most of the time
0: yeah and a lot of times you know it's it's actually very valuable to give them that board seat because you know if you're an early founder who has never started a company before you need that outside perspective you need somebody to help guide not not really the day to day operation but more like like the big picture stuff the stuff that's um that's weighing on the direction of the company. I think that it's pretty important to have that, that outside of, you know, look into what you're doing.
1: Again, if you think, I think if you approach it from trying to find the board members uh, and the ones that are going to help you navigate your industry uh, and provide additional expertise, it's, it's hugely beneficial if you have the right board members. Um, and, and if you look at it from this, the, the perspective of not, this is an adversarial type of relationship, but it's like, uh, you know, these are the ones that are, are, these are the people who are going to help me move my company forward. I think, you know, boards get a bad rap because a lot of people go into the situation thinking, well, this you know, person invested money in me or whatever. They don't really care. Um, or, uh, you know, they want to take over my company kind of deal. And yeah. most board members going on, uh, getting, uh, you know, involved don't have that mindset. Um, and maybe it's something where, you know, further down the line, you've got to be a little bit more careful when you have six, seven, eight board members and, um, you're further down the road and you don't have as much of a handpicked stake in it. Um, as you move this company forward.
0: Yeah, Yeah. One of the other things that, uh, I I read was, you know, regarding mistakes to avoid specifically, you know, a lot of people, they bring on too many board members, especially in the early stage. I think that if you bring on too many, it's, it's kind of, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen situation where, you know, you ultimately, um, you don't want you want to avoid too many voices in the in the guiding of your company. I think that that's that's pretty key. And you want some people that uh, again, if you early on, you want some experts
1: that can augment your skills and or uh, kind of fill the gaps that you have. Um, yeah, So you know, finding that right board member who is you know well connected or you know can help you raise that next round or has you know a, a rolodex of networks to get you those first customers. Those are the people that you want to have and put on your board, Um, not your friends, not just, um, you know, people that know you or whatever. You really want to be strategic about it and find out, you know, what's that kind of dream team that I would have to have guiding me and, and being my advice coach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Dundee Venture Capital. If you're an entrepreneur or looking to invest in startups, you'll definitely want to give Dundee Venture Capital a call. We caught up with founder of Dundee VC, Mark Hayesbrook, to hear his thoughts on what makes a great founding team. I think one of the things that we always uh, look for in a a founding team is, is there a good sales co-founder and a good technical Uh, co-founder? That balance is pretty rare. And boy, when you have the two of those, it's pretty dynamic. Uh, frequently we'll see a technical co-founder but not a sales co-founder or vice versa. The other thing that we always like to to hear from a founder is uh, to, to see not only the passion but understanding how big their market is. Uh, I think frequently we'll see a founder stumble a little bit in thinking they're solving a giant gigantic problem but it really is just a problem to them or their neighborhood. And so really think through how big this market is and what your solution to a problem is. And now back to the show. And then, you know, the last one regarding uh, mistakes to avoid, just bring on people who are a, a poor fit for the organization or the culture. Mm-hmm. If they don't, if they don't get what you're doing, if they don't understand what you're, what you're building and how you're building it specifically, and, and they're just a bad fit. Um, yeah. I would, I would vet them very, very well regarding culture fit specifically. I think that mm-hmm. that's, that's extremely important.
1: Yeah. You have to have the same vision because you know, if you're, if you're, if you have a different vision with your board, it can be contentious pretty quickly, um, and there should be some conflict you know, or some, you know, some challenging. I mean, the board's there to, uh, again, help guide the company through difficult times, and you should have folks on your board that challenge your assumptions and, and make you think, um, but not necessarily adversarial from the
0: get-go. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that they they said was, you know, as a founder, you should be open to the board disagreeing with you, and yes. and, and again, not always, but um, you know, if if you are wrong, <laughs> then that's that's, uh, I think that that's okay, and and you should um, be open to the board challenging some of your assumptions. For, for sure. Um, so let's talk about advisory boards. I think that you know, first of all, what is an advisory board? How does it differ from the, the classic, you know, board of directors situation? Um, and why would you want an advisory board? So I think, I mean, I, I really like advisory boards for a couple of different
1: reasons. One, again, so the, the traditional board um, is usually the, the ones that have the fiduciary responsibility for the shareholders and they're the, the you know, the, the actual officers that sit on the board. Um, and, you know, there's legal uh, ramifications for them to have those board seats and that. Advisory board is, is just that it's kind of a uh, a group of folks that may or may not have any uh, um you know actual um ownership in your company but they're folks that you can go to um and and you can have more than you know two or three or whatever you can have a a, a five six seven people on an advisory board but these are the folks that you can kind of go to on a regular basis that have mm-hmm. kind of agreed to volunteer to help uh in times of need whether it's you know answering a question helping you navigate a particular market Um, introducing you to folks, uh, and again, shoring up the the, um, holes that you may have in your own personal resume.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from my perspective, I've got way more experience with the advisory board. I mean, um, we actually – so we kind of went the route of at Squiggle keeping – the three founders on the board and then, uh, no, nobody else outside of that on the board. Uh, but we did, we did create an advisory board. We u- utilized some amazing, amazing people who were way outside of our technical and, uh, sales abilities and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I-, I can tell from per- personal experience, just having the ability to set down, set down with these people and, and pick their brain, you know, on a, on a specific interval, uh, I, that, that is just an incredible, incredible resource whenever you're, early, early in a, in a company. And you probably only want to,
1: you know, anything more than, anything more than like 10 on an advisory board is probably too difficult to manage because Absolutely. Again, you, you don't want to have these folks. Uh, I mean, they're they are giving you time in that. And, you know, sometimes you want to give them some compensation, whether it's in like, I think the average is around, you know, 0.25% of your company or things along those lines. Um, is it, So you want to, you know, respect their time in that and you want to be, you know, deliberate about it. So, you know, have an agenda, you know, know when you're, you're going to call an advisory board meeting, things along those lines. Yeah, um,
0: I, I think so. I mean, so one of the things that, <clears throat> so Mike Mason, co-founder of zap said this on Quora about advisory boards. He said, first off the advisory board is meant to fill holes that are inerrant within the founding team, which is what you said, Brian. I, to- I totally agree with that example. If you're building a solution that requires secure data encryption with limited knowledge on the subject within the founding team, you might want to look for a, uh, a member of your advisory board to have experience with this. Advisors should be expected to lend three to four hours of their time per month, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, I think that's about right. I think that any any more than three to four hours, and you're talking a a pretty heavy investment for these types of people.
1: Exactly. And I think you want to look for, you know, different types of, again, just like you would for your traditional board, your advisory board, you should have kind of a mix of folks, you know, industry expertise, startup expertise, uh, you know do they have other have they been on other advisory boards so they have you know kind of seen and um, can give you insight into how other boards and other startups are run um, you know maybe a research or an academic person on on your board so they can give you some insight into trends or some things again depending on the industry that you're building out um, or some you know subject matter expertise um, you know h- how close they are to you um, both personally and and like location wise like how easy is it for you to Get on the phone or, or get that get a hold of that person's time. Um, you know, obviously they have to have a willingness to work for the company. Um, no conflicts, so you know they shouldn't. You shouldn't have people on your advisory board or on your board that are invested in your competitor. <laughs> things along those right, lines. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but you know, it's sometimes often overlooked or, or not really thought through. Uh, and then obviously chemistry. Um, and then you know, I think the last thing that a lot of people put together advisory boards is kind of for the name value. Um, yep. y- you know, if you've got a, a star. Startup founder on your advisory board, and they'll let you lend that name to you know giving you expertise in your marketplace. In that, that's a really great um, reason to give a person a quarter point of your company and uh, make them you know part of uh, that regular group of people
0: that you talk to. Yeah, totally. So so that brings up a point. So how how do advisors get paid? Um, typically in equity, right? Um, typically in equity, sometimes it's like
1: just, I mean, sometimes it's just, um, volunteer and then you pay for their expenses or something along those lines. Um, typically it's not like cash out, but, uh, you could put together
0: options and things along those lines. Uh,
1: but that's more for your traditional board, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the last question, how do you find good advisors? Uh, I think that from my perspective, I think it's, uh, leveraging your network, uh, making mm-hmm. sure that you're you're constantly you know talking to people and getting to the best people through that, and then also like I, I talk about this all the time, but cold emailing people always works as well.
1: Yeah, I think you want to ha- develop a, a relationship with the person. I mean, typically if you, um, you know, hey, I want Eric Reese on my board, you know, he he's probably pretty busy, and unless he's got a, a specific reason to be on your board, uh, you're not going to get those types of high profile folks um, unless you start developing a relationship, and and then maybe
0: you can uh, you can bring them in, but. So to to wrap up the conversation, uh, if we want to talk about anything, what's what's one takeaway that, that somebody could think about whenever they're thinking about starting up either, you know, a, a kind of a board of directors or an advisory board? Well, I think they're very valuable.
1: I think they're often overlooked, and I think a lot of early founders think they you know they know what they need and they don't want to bring in oversight because it's like hey you know I don't want to be fired and I don't want to um, you know, have anybody rock the boat early on. But I think if you go in with the the mindset that, hey, I'm trying to find advisors that can help me navigate and fill holes that I have. Um, that's the right attitude, and you can really get a lot out of a board if you uh, focus on the right folks. Um, one, I, Brad Feld wrote a book called Startup Boards, Getting the Most Out of Your Board of Directors. It's a really good book, great handbook. Um, I highly recommend
0: you take, check that out as well. Absolutely. And You know, from my perspective, I think um, whenever you're thinking about a board, you'll have people sway you in either direction. So, you know, whether or not to just keep the founders on the board in the early stages or, you know, get a few people who are experts, regardless of what that is, think about uh, wherever you are, think about what you need. Uh, where you want to go and and, and if you have the exact uh, exactly what you need generally you're not going to and just um, kind of follow your gut on that situation I, I don't think there's any one like blanket answer for whether you should you know um, either start an advisory board what kind of board you should start and all that kind of stuff so I think it's kind of following your own path on that
2: and so I see some excitement around that I also see companies that are getting to the place where as these communities grow they don't have to move to Silicon Valley or to New York or the, to, you know, one of the two coasts to be successful. They can literally look at a venture capitalist and say, look, it's going to cost me twice as much money to live in San Francisco. The talent is twice as much. We're going to spend a lot more of your money a lot quicker when I can get good, positive, talented people here to do the things that I want them to do. And frankly, I like living in Dallas and I don't want to move from here.
0: This is Trey Bowles co-founder and CEO of The Deck or Dallas Entrepreneur Center.
1: All right. Hey, thanks for being on, Trey, to the Inside Outside podcast. First of all, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself?
2: Yes, my name is Trey Bowles, and I am the CEO and co-founder of the Dallas Entrepreneur Center uh, and the Dallas Innovation Alliance. I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, got involved in Uh, Entrepreneurship in college. It took two or three businesses until I realized I actually was an entrepreneur. But ever since then, uh, there's been no turning back, and uh, my career has been a series of different um, companies, ideas, for profit, nonprofit, where I just found something I was passionate about, and then went and figured out how to do it. And so I've, I've had stints in media and technology. Uh, Pretty, pretty extensive technology background. Most companies I've started or run had some technology component have done stuff in uh, the faith based space. um, And in mainstream Hollywood technology, I've run music companies and uh, built companies, just built brands and all sorts of different elements, even to the point where one time I was building a technology company and decided Uh, When I lived in New York, that a great way to advertise that company would be to write reality television shows and did a couple of those (laughs) for MTV. So uh, now I live in Dallas, Texas, and I help entrepreneurs start, grow and build businesses. Uh, I am an adjunct professor and launched an entrepreneurship department at SMU in Dallas, launched another nonprofit with the mayor of Dallas to engage culturally diverse and civically minded young professionals in the city and then about two m- months ago we launched a smart cities initiative at the white house to develop and launch in the west end area of downtown dallas which is where our headquarters are for the deck so uh staying busy for sure
1: <laughs> so you're basically unqualified to talk to <laughs> <laughs> i'm unqualified
2: for a job i can tell you that much
1: <laughs> well i guess my next question is well how did you get involved in in um specifically start up a community building. Well, so that's an
2: interesting story. I I was, uh, after I sold my last company, I kind of decided that I was going to live in Dallas for the rest of my life. I had grown up here, moved away for about 13 years and came back and just kind of said, you know what? My family's here at a house here. I'm just going to stay in Dallas. But if I am, I'm going to help make it a better city and I'm going to help entrepreneurs. I'd always mentored entrepreneurs my whole career just because I had a passion for that. Um, and after we launched the department at SMU, um, I was a part of the Startup America partnership that Steve Case had put together with the Coffin Foundation and the White House. And I had the opportunity to go around and meet some of these amazing community builders from other other regions and started to recognize some of the amazing, some of the wonderful things they were doing in the community to help build their community for entrepreneurs and realized that looking at Texas, there wasn't anything like that in Texas and specifically in Dallas. And so uh, we launched... Um, Startup Texas down here. And after that, we launched the Dallas Entrepreneur Center or the DEC, as we called it, uh, with the hope of really building a collaborative ecosystem where uh, we could aggregate the entrepreneurs in the community, help create this give first mentality here and try to try to create an environment ecosystem where all sorts of different people were coming in and looking to find their role in that in that ecosystem. And, and not just bringing in entrepreneurs and investors, but also corporations and universities and media outlets and mentors and all the different stakeholders that make up an ecosystem. And, and so I sort of caught the bug and uh, ever since then have been, uh, for the last two and a half years, building out uh, what we're doing at the deck. Since launching two and a half years ago, we've launched uh, three new locations Uh, Another location in our building called the Innovation Hub, uh, a location in Addison, which is about 15 minutes north, called the Addison Treehouse. And we're launching a third location in Denton, which is about 45 minutes north. That name has not been announced yet. And then next week, uh, we launch our first affiliate or franchise partner in San Antonio. So we're continually trying to find ways to serve uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems not only around North Texas, all of Texas, but eventually hopefully the rest of the country. But we're very intentional in the way that we do it is that we don't want them to be called decks. We're not trying to build our brand. We're trying to help empower local communities to develop their own culture and their own brand um, by powering them with a good backbone of, um, of programming, of strategy, of community building that we've learned here over the last couple of years.
1: Well, this seems to be taking over you know not only just in Dallas and the Texas area, but obviously all around the world, this this movement towards entrepreneurship. What are some of the things that you think have kind of sparked that? and what's kind of changed over you know two and a half, three years ago when you were in the early trenches, and what's changed over the last three years? Well, I,
2: I agree. there is this this entrepreneurial movement uh, of building ecosystems across the country and and all across the world. I think um, I think initially it happened because. Uh, There was just, we had just gone through a recession. I think there was more entrepreneurs in the marketplace than traditional because uh, sometimes you become an entrepreneur out of uh, desire and sometimes you become an entrepreneur out of necessity. And as people started figuring out ways to support and serve those ecosystems, they started to work and they started to grow. And so this concept of before that an entrepreneur is an Island and you're in the middle of this all by yourself. And there's nobody out there that understands you or that can help you or that can, that can add value. Now we're sitting in a place where we think of entrepreneurship and this idea of entrepreneurship is sort of stepping off a cliff or jumping off a cliff into this abyss. Um, but now when we stand on that, on that cliff and we look down into this, um, into this cavern below, there's thousands of entrepreneurs standing there saying, "Go ahead and jump. We've got you. Right. We've got we've got programming to help support people. We've got mentors to help so- support people. And one of the things that we're seeing that's really fascinating is that is that not only are the mentors help teaching these companies how to build good, sound, fundamental businesses." Um, But they're seeing other companies do the right things, too. And they're learning that way as well, because I think that companies don't fail because somebody's got a really bad idea. I think companies fail because they don't know what they don't know. And by creating these communities, we're decreasing the number of companies that fail and ultimately increasing the number of companies that succeed. And so I think the reason that they continue to sustain sustain themselves and grow is because it's working, because people recognize it that collaboration is more powerful in competition than when you're talking about these types of communities. Obviously, competition is essential for a for-profit business and just for innovation. But when you're trying to help communities grow, collaboration is much more powerful in the long run.
0: Are there
1: any kind of core tactics that you see a community should be doing early on to kind of foster that collaboration? Or?
2: Yeah, and it's really, you know, to, to, to steal a line from Brad Feld, it's a give-first mentality. I mean, when we first started the deck, we literally started by throwing parties and featuring the other organizations in the community because we wanted to show them that we really were about building the entire community. We weren't just about building our brand, but really highlighting all the brands that exist here. And as we started to do that, as we started to give into this ecosystem and people saw that ecosystem respond and grow, they then responded in kind and said, well, gosh, if you're going to give, we're going to give. And you create, you then create this, it's almost positive peer pressure to being collaborative and people recognize that it just works. And a win for accelerator a that has a company that raises a bunch of money in your city is a win for accelerator B because people are now looking at your city as a place to put money as a place where companies are growing and being successful. You guys, you know, see that up where you are with huddle. I mean, it's just been amazing to see what that has done to help begin to transform your community and bring a whole lot of attention to the great things that were already going on.
1: Yeah. What are some of the things that you're seeing as far as the core challenges and opportunities for founders trying to build outside the Valley? I mean, obviously the Valley is still thought of as the Mecca and the place to go, what are you seeing as kind of the advantages and disadvantages from going that route?
2: Well, so the disadvantages are, 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 are simply the matter of it just the, the density of opportunity and the low barrier to entry there, right? I mean, the, the reality is if you live in Silicon Valley and you walk in with the right business plan, somebody could give you $10 million. Um, now, I, I personally don't think that's Extremely realistic, and I definitely don't think it's help. It's helpful to an entrepreneur. The thing that I love about what's going on in the rest of the country is that um, investors exist in all these different areas, and and slowly but surely they're starting to invest their money in more early stage businesses. But they're still going to require some sort of traction, and that traction is usually connected to something like I don't know sales, revenue, and profitability. Things that you need to have as a company to exist and be sustainable anyway. And so I see some excitement around that. I also see companies that are getting to the place where as these communities grow, they don't have to move to Silicon Valley or to New York or, the, to, you know, one of the two coasts to be successful. They can literally look at a venture capitalist and say, look, it's going to cost me twice as much money to live in San Francisco. The talent is twice as much We're going to spend a lot more of your money a lot quicker when I can get good, positive, talented people here to do the things that I want them to do. And frankly, I like living in Dallas and I don't want to move from here. This is a great place for me to be. And so I I see that happening um, and I see more of of, of a response from the venture capitalists as well to say, okay, well, you know. You're right. If, you, if you've got a good business here and you've got something that's growing and, and really we're no longer funding an idea, but we're coming alongside and helping scale something that you've already proven is working, um, I think that creates a very realistic model for growth for all the people involved. And although you may not have the, the, as many unicorns out here in the, um, um, in the, in the wide open plains – but I don't think those unicorns are usually sustainable as well. You look at how many companies went public that still have no profits, right? At some point right. that implodes upon itself. At some point a bubble is burst. But if your companies are building on something that is real and, and, and sustainable and valuable, that's a super exciting thing for everybody in the community because that's where long-term growth happens. And then we start to build communities where people don't leave, they stay, they exit, they put money back into the community. They invest their time back into the community and it creates uh, a situation where you can live anywhere you want and build companies that are successful. You
1: you mentioned capital and that's always one of those things that pops up when people ask, you know, what's missing in a community? What are some of the techniques or things that you've done to kind of help tell that story to get an angel investor, I um, guess, involved in embedding in on early stage seed companies in that, uh, maybe in an area that they're not, Typically used to investing in?
2: Yeah. So, you know, more than anything now, two and a half years into our, three years into our ecosystem, I can point to companies that are actually working. I can point to companies Mm -hmm. who are no longer just ideas, they're companies that are generating revenue, generating profits, have raised money. I mean, I can't tell you probably five times in the last two weeks, I've gotten a call from a West Coast or East Coast VC saying, hey, I've heard about Dallas, we need to look at some stuff there. Or I've invested in a company in Dallas, what else is going on? And so I tend to be able to now um, inspire an angel investor to get involved because I now have companies that I can hand them that are investable. When I first started here, as in any community, everybody said the same thing. There's no capital going into startups. So I went out and said, well, I'm gonna take the contrarian approach and I'm gonna see if I can find 20 companies that I would invest in. And I couldn't. And so I said, Well, let's quit, let's quit, you know, pointing the finger at the at the capital sources until we can find better companies. Well, now I can see companies everywhere that should be getting funding. They're at a place where they've proven traction, they've proven growth. They've proven they're ready to go. And to this point, they're getting funding. It's not all coming from Dallas. It's not all coming from Texas, right. but it proves the idea that a fundable company will find funding. And, and that doesn't happen in every case or across the board, but I think that's really what's helped me more than anything else is now I can point to 20 examples um, as opposed to before saying, well, I think this company has opportunity. I think this company will go somewhere. I can say, here's the facts here's the statistics here's the data
1: so tell us a little bit about what's going on in dallas what's unique what are some exciting new things in the startup world and in your backyard
2: well um i mean the last two and a half years the growth has been so fantastic it's it's hard to it's hard to think of everything but but, you know, a lot of things we've seen is the growth in the accelerator market. here. We had two accelerators two years ago. We have 17 accelerators in Dallas now. Um, one of our most recent um, entrants to the market is a real estate technology acceler- accelerator called Motive, which has their pitch pitch day today on November 9th, 19th. And <laughs> they've got a great group of companies that they've brought through. And so seeing those types of accelerators um, come into the market and find you know, really early stage businesses and industries that Dallas is, is a top industry in any way. Real estate is a huge industry here. Healthcare, oil and gas. There's even a huge fashion tech community here that's really growing. I think we continue to see um, more and more co-working spaces launching and the attraction of some of these larger co-working spaces like WeWork and um, Uber, co-working, and an industrial assembly, different ones like that. But that's happening here. We're seeing an influx of code academies moving here. We're seeing uh, the universities get more involved. And then, you know, as I mentioned before, about two months ago, we launched a smart cities initiative at the White House to really focus on bringing infrastructure technology and utilizing data to create efficiencies inside the city. I think the exciting thing about that is that's something that brings an international Um, an international eye to Dallas to see the the focus and contribution to innovation that we have. And once we can get that, you know, the eyes of the world looking at what we're doing here, we can slowly pull back the curtain to say, look, this is just one aspect of what is making this region so powerful. Let's look at what really is a 9,200 square mile region of entrepreneurs that are happening And all over the place. Right. We do have we do have the dense community of entrepreneurs in one location that you find in a lot of these um, cities. But because we have such a large region we have what I consider to be an advantage to have entrepreneurs in 17 counties and 27 cities across this great state in North Texas area, um, which is really positive for moving forward. We're seeing corporations come in and put money into companies and find ways to work with startups you uh, you're seen, seen city municipalities launching spaces like the deck in their own cities, in their own backyards. So um, we continue to see those types of things happening. And then over time, we'll see more Companies moving here, we'll see more capital coming into the region from people who don't live here, um, and those are some of the things that we we see that really separate what, what what's going on here um, from what's going on in other cities. Because the the, you know, the other thing I'd say is I think it's great that this stuff is happening all across the country, and that somebody shouldn't have to move to Dallas, Texas to find opportunity. And that's what things like um, Startup America Partnership, the Rise of the Rest, some of the other things that are going on out there create as real opportunities for other cities is empowering their entrepreneurs to accomplish and do and see goals and results that, you know, five years ago, we weren't seeing out of their coasts.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. Special thanks to Trey Bowles for joining us this week. Reach out to him on Twitter and let him know how much you enjoyed the interview. If you have a question for us on Twitter, you can also reach out at the IO podcast. Also, if you have 30 seconds to spare, we would love for you to leave a review on our iTunes page. And while you're there, feel free to subscribe as well. Until next time, go build something big.